This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a Black Lady Sketch Show. For your consideration, a Black Lady Sketch Show, the Emmy award-winning HBO original comedy series that Paste Magazine raves is refreshing, sharp, and funny. Starring Robin Thede, who the New York Times praises is as dynamic as ever, the narrative sketch comedy series features a core cast of Black women living relatable, hilarious experiences in a magical reality that subverts traditional expectations. A Black Lady Sketch Show is now streaming on HBO Max. all right hey hey welcome to episode whatever number this is because it's hard to keep track because so here we are back again with the very infrequent deep focus podcast i'm your host rodrigo perez i am also the editor-in-chief of the playlist.net my guests this week are a duo jim cummings and pj mccabe co-directors, co-writers, and co-stars of IFC Films' The Beta Test. And let me say that, yes, this conversation is well overdue. The Beta Test came out in late November, but hey, it's on VOD, and more importantly, in a little teaser of what's to come, you'll see The Beta Test on our list of the best films of 2021 that you didn't see. I mean, yes, that could be seen as a backhanded compliment, I suppose, but it's really supposed to say this movie is great, it's overlooked, and you should definitely seek it out because it's available to rent on all digital platforms. And it's actually quite great, hence including it on that list. So the beta test is something I described in my review, if I can quote myself, as an anxiety horror film. Which fits if you know the work of Jim Cummings, who is essentially a maestro of twitchy, cringy, anxiety indies. More specifically, the beta test is about a married Hollywood agent, played by Cummings, who receives a mysterious letter for an anonymous sexual encounter and becomes ensnared in a big web of deceit, lies, and more twists and turns. P.J. McCabe co-stars as Cummings' Hollywood agent best friend and, as I said, co-wrote and co-directed the film with him. Cummings, you probably know from splashing onto the indie scene with his cringe comedy Thunder Road, I think back in 2017, it was a big hit at the South by Southwest Film Festival. It's about a cop going through a divorce who loses his mom and then he has to try to be a you know a real human and a real parent to his kid even though he's like basically a huge fuck up it's hilarious super cringy and awkward but still full of full-bodied and deeply flowing empathy it's quite amazing uh cummings continued with this vein and gave it a genre twist with the murder mystery the house of snowy hollow which came out last year and now in 2021 the beta test which made its premiere and was received with great acclaim at the Berlin Film Festival earlier this year. So yes, it's quote-unquote anxiety horror, at least that's the way I see it, but it's told from the perspective of men who are just like freaking out in the age of Me Too and consequences. Um, Their backs are against the wall, their hackles are up, their antennas are up and on guard because if you're a white male, the privilege that you once had to be a total fucking asshole with no consequences are over. And that's kind of the backdrop of the film, the fabric of the male characters before anything in the plot even starts. Then, of course, this mysterious letter about an anonymous sexual encounter comes up, and suffice to say, white men are going to white men, and shit gets out of hand in a very entertaining and delicious manner. It's a very dark, funny, biting satire about this era we're in now, the frightened white men who live within it, and the way the world has just gone kind of topsy-turvy for those who used to get away with murder. 
the woke age of empathy has changed everything. And that's like, again, the backdrop. But then there's so much more. There's this big element about Hollywood and Hollywood agents and the nefarious practice of Hollywood packaging, which I will let them explain to you in this podcast. You'll hear they'll go into that in quite detail because it's also the thing that sort of spurned on the film. But yeah, it's dense and has a lot of going on and it skewers many things and many people. Uh, We talked all about the beta test, plus stick around till the end because Cummings and McCabe tee up their next two projects, give some major teases about both, and let's just say they sound incredibly ambitious, and it sounds like they're definitely going to be stepping up their game. Um, they also cite David Gordon Green as a hero and a friend, and uh, and someone who has an eclectic career that I think that they would like to emulate. Um, Cummings even has a small role in this year's Halloween Kills. Um, so yeah, stick around, listen, uh, and, and enjoy, hopefully. As always, uh, the Deep Focus is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Be Real, The Discourse, Fourth Wall, Yellowstoners, and more. And you, we can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. So, yes, uh, be sure to subscribe, drop us a comment or a rating. We do super appreciate it. Thank you much, so much for listening. And um, I'm actually going to have uh, another Deep Focus podcast coming up very soon. So I know it's slightly erratic and then it kind of hits all at once. But yeah, it's going to happen again. So happy holidays and everything. Um, hope you're listening and enjoy. Well, you know, I guess, you know, let's just start at the beginning. Tell me about your movie. I loved it. I thought it was really oh, thank you. funny and I think it works on so many levels. But I don't want to lead the witness a little bit. I want to, you know, I feel like obviously there's this packaging thing, but then there's this whole other stuff. Like, tell me sort of like the, the, ger- the germination, which I feel like leads to like a lot of other stuff. So the letter service was the beginning. We had the idea for getting a letter in the mail because that was like an interesting in for most general audiences of like telling the story that would be like a Twilight Zone, Black Mirror kind of thing of like what you would do and how it could disrupt your life. PJ and I are both in long-term relationships. And so I, I called him and I was like, what'd you do if you got this thing? And he was like, I get murdered. Like, I, it's clearly someone. I would ignore it because I'd, I'd yeah. be scared that I even got it. It would be a problem that I received. <laughs> I'd, I'd already be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Already it'd be my wife trying to get me. It was like yeah. one of those pina colada kind of situations. But no, it became that as the beginning. And it was just interesting to us. And then we had like a thousand different conversations about what you'd actually have to do to to build the service to actually get people to be paired up um, through an algorithm and we developed the app and like actually built it uh, and like tried to figure out how you do it and then uh, we started doing research about the WGA packaging fight and what it was like to lie and cheat as much as possible in Hollywood and that kind of you know became this ensemble uh, story this in tandem story that we wanted to tell about uh, liars and cheaters and then all the big data stuff as well came through the research of um, what it would actually take to build this service and so at the end of the day it became this kind of like full circle thing of Hollywood and the agency world pretending to be a social network and then in the age of real social networks, how difficult that is to stay afloat and how the general public um, doesn't need that. Or some stranger from the internet could come along and uh, completely circumvent that industry. And pair you when you didn't even know you wanted to be paired. <laughs> or like there was something yeah. out there, grass is greener. 
that you didn't even right. realize, which was really interesting to us. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a lot of layers of stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, a lot. I do love the sort of because I don't even know if I could articulate it, and yet you just articulated it perfectly. Like liars and cheats is kind of the glue of everything. Yeah, because there's yeah. a liar of cheat to everything, even social media. Yep. You know, obviously Hollywood agents not that hard, not that much of a stretch. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like yep. cheating on your spouse, but uh, that's a really good. Yeah, that's a really um, good stuff, right? It's a good, it's, it's really good to, to jump off. It's, to, it's a off. weird way to tell a story about lying. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it made no, sense. Like it all kind of connected in a really satisfying way for us. And we thought it'd be a good vehicle to do that. I'm a huge fan of Doubt, the Phil Hoffman movie and the play, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like that, that play is about believing in something without evidence. And so it has to take place in a church. And so we mm-hmm. felt that same way with uh, making something in the talent agency if it's about lying and cheating. Maybe we should break down a little bit just because like the packaging thing is like a little bit complicated for people to understand sometimes, I think maybe. And and what's the like, you know, the the quick sell on on what's what is packaging? Because it's a pretty important part of, yeah. of, of the story. Yeah. So in 2017 through 2020, Um, There were these fights that were being put up by the top four uh, talent agencies in Hollywood, where they were trying to subvert contracts that were built in the 1930s and 1940s that said that uh, film agencies weren't allowed to actually produce their own content. And packaging kind of became this in-between area where they were able to use their clout and pressure uh, different organizations to get these um, separate anonymous contracts or, you know, like a not, not often public contracts for a deal for um, a, a film t- or a film or a TV show where they were able to make inordinate amounts of money by aligning the creatives, like the writers, directors, the stars that they had in their talent pool to then get 30% of the income, 20% of the income of whatever the show would be so that they would make way more money than they ever could from the 10% from their client pool, which we talk about in the film. But then also at the same time, they were trying to become producers of content to basically create their own studio system. And almost every one of these talent agencies had a sister company, LLC, that was a studio um, and trying to create their own content uh, that would be competitive with the main studio system, which is entirely illegal and a breach of all these contracts that were set up in the formation of the talent agency world. And we could have lost. The The WGA put up a fight that they didn't have to put up um, mm-hmm. and they put up this fight and won. And because of that, so many agents that were agents in that world have now fled that industry to become producers Um, and start their own stuff because they realize that the industry is changing and the only real value is owning your own content and making stuff that you own. Right. It it almost reminds me of some sort of like the, the financial insidiousness of the big short, that kind of idea thrown in, 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 into like agencies. And like, I mean, (laughs) the too long didn't read for sort of version is it's like, it just seems like really unethical and, and insidious. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you're negotiating with your employers essentially for your, you know, which is a huge conflict of interest. And then also like, obviously it's the same wardrobe as wall street. It's just that these people in the talent agency are bad at math. 
Like they failed out of their math <laughs> exams and couldn't qualify to be in Wall Street. And so they were like, well, why don't I just tell my parents who are paying for my livelihood uh, that I'm making movies and then I'll just go to Hollywood and then work in the mailroom and work my way up and be insidious and awful. And then, you know, I grew up watching Entourage at the fraternity house. Maybe this is a good lifestyle. Maybe this is my personality. You know, it's absolutely pathetic and awful. And um, and we love making fun of it. <laughs> yeah, it is sort of a big short with the Jenga blocks being knocked over, very similar to the collapse of the buildings in the Hollywood system yeah. that we use in our film. So yeah, yeah. that is a very good reference. Yeah. So that leads me to like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love this thing. It's really funny, but like, what do agents, what do, what is Hollywood? What do, what do people, other people that think of this, you know? I don't give a shit. I mean, like, <laughs> I, like I like who, yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't, I like, we shouldn't care about that stuff at all. Like most of the times when we make movies, they're just, you know, things that we have to get out of our system. And everybody was talking about this stuff. Like, the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and The Wrap were all covering each new development that was happening inside of the WGA packaging fight and the studio fight. And uh, and nobody was talking about it because of the power dynamics. And so PJ and I were like, well, why don't we just make jokes about it? And I was nervous to write it at first because it was about, you know, possibly screwing ourselves out of careers. But then as soon as we were like showing it to people, audiences were laughing at it. And it was like, yeah, finally audiences get to feel more powerful than the powers that be. That's what the point of comedy is. Right. It felt like something you weren't supposed to talk about as someone in the industry because it was too close. And we were like, oh, well, I have to make fun of it now. Like you could, like it actually made it like more, more attractive to do a story about, cause it was just funny. It was, it was like, nobody's gonna do this. And like, we're all, nobody's talking about it. I, I don't know, like, why don't we lampoon it? because it's very relevant. And, uh... I stumbled for the first time, I was at Beyond Fest and um, somebody uh, in the crowd said, what are, the, what are your agents, or like, what are the people gonna say about like having seen this film? And I thought about it for a second and I was like, I actually don't, and then I was like, oh, don't leak my emails. That's exactly what they might say. <laughs> It's a joke. I it's don't know. It's a fucking joke. It's a joke. It's funny. I like, I hope people can take a joke and understand that it's just like, it's a movie. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, but yeah. Again, all the layers I really love. Like to me, I kind of described it as uh, an anxiety horror, which I think in and of itself is very unique because, yeah. uh, uh, you know, this guy's dealing with so much like, and then it kind of, I don't know if you go, it doesn't sound like it because of the way you were explaining it, but like you're talking about like the, just the, the very, the way you came up with this, which is like, what if this letter, which is a perfect what if, but then that kind of bleeds into, I don't know if it's unintentionally or not, but the whole idea of like where we are in culture about cancel culture, because it's this sort of like this, this sort of fear of like, and you haven't even done anything, but certain people are so afraid of like, you know, being canceled for things that they haven't done yet. So I don't know, tell me about that. Cause dovetails so perfectly into all that, which is so fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. We're like, we're, we're kind of complete moderates to that world of like, PJ and I speak our minds about everything and, um, and we're earnest. We also do pull punches because of the landscape of conversation right now. It's like, on Twitter, you are either Jesus Christ or you are Hitler, and there's no in between. And that's yeah. a very dangerous space to, to speak about anything. Um, yeah. There's a good quote from uh, Mark Twain who said, um, if nobody's ever hated you, you've never said anything honest. And I thought that was very profound. But then still, like, 
you know, there's a lot of room to correct in our film industry to get rid of these assholes that are far worse than we are. So like, although we, you know, proofread every email before it goes out to make sure that it could never be misinterpreted, there are people who are absolute monsters in the film industry and uh, should be taken out. So yeah, I think I think it's an interesting time where when something needs to be corrected, you can expect an overcorrection. And I think that's kind of what we're going through right now. But then still, like, I mean, PJ and I were able to do whatever we wanted with this movie. Like, we could make jokes about anything and punch up. And it was great. I, I think, like, some people are too timid to say anything about anything. And um, I hope that this movie changes that, that you, you can do whatever you want so long as you are funny. Yeah. <laughs> But it is anxiety inducing because, and that's kind of the part of the, the internet like whatever you put out there, it, it doesn't go away. And that can be very anxiety inducing because yeah, you don't, you don't want to get in trouble. And yeah, that's kind of what Jordan it goes is. Through. It is a bit of the scarlet letter. I mean, like yeah. to, to call it a witch hunt is, is awful because the, the last president said that all the time, but like yeah. Yeah. it is, it is interesting where like when you, when you learn about Puritan New England and kind of what, um, the sexual toxicity was and how um, scary it is. We, we, you know, we, we showed the film in Europe and they're like, what's the problem? He had an affair. Like, he's, why are they killing each other? You know, he had, he had one, he had one adulterous affair. That's not a big deal. Our president in France had like six of them and we still forgive him. Like, I think Americans still feel like uh, the world is watching them and in the right. I mean, like, I think that's a, that's a really frightening thing. Like if you do have an affair in America, the power dynamic shift where the public feels like they are in charge of you and that you are this sinful, awful person. Um, and it's just not true. It's a, there's very little forgiveness in culture in America. And it, it, it only comes through when you go to another country and you can see yourself from the outside. Yeah, at the same time, it's, it's interesting. I've had a conversation with some Europeans and I feel like there's might be, could be a middle ground, <laughs> you know, like we're like, so like locked in and they're so laissez-faire. <laughs> uh, so there's very sure. certain things like you talk to them about, like I've had a conversation with a European about Weinstein and they were so like, I was like, no, no. Like, you know, there were some pretty bad things done there. Like he's a rapist. Yeah, yeah. Rapist. There you yeah. go. Yes, yeah. yes. There's not much middle ground there. Right. Yeah. right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it just right. the, the world, like they're on this very lax end. We're on this very tense end. Um, that sort of leads me to like, I guess, like, uh, you know, PJ, this is your first work that I that I've seen with with Jim. But Jim, your work is is uh, whether it's you know this may be like my term anxiety horror, but your work is always uh, riddled with anxiety too. Like you know, <laughs> Thunder Road. Or yep. um, the, the, the sorry, I'm blanking on the werewolf one, but there's always this guy who's really uncomfortable with his skin. That sort of means seems to be a through line, whether he's a jackass agent or he's a cop, which you love. <laughs> and yeah. uh, tell me about that because I I personally love that that thing, and it always seems to carry through. Yeah, I mean, really, like PJ and I are just big redditors. Like we, we're on like public freakouts on Reddit all the time and watching Karen videos and like. I think it's just something that I find so naturally and like internationally interesting of like watching someone have a meltdown where they finally admit that society has not worked for them. <laughs> and like the, the, the like the performance that they've been putting on for however many years um, is bullshit. And they finally get to speak their mind. It's the worst day of their lives, but um, they're finally able to say, you know what, I'm not going to take this bullshit anymore. It's 
um, you know, Dog Day Afternoon. It's Al Pacino screaming Attica and fuck the police and all that stuff. And I think that that speaks to this larger human experience of everybody feeling like the system um, is fucking them. And it is. And so having these big public freakouts, especially with authority figures, is so funny to me where with this film particularly, you can show somebody who's an agent who's usually the top of the power dynamic, this kind of like protected class in Hollywood, fail a thousand times over and do yeah. a bad job of representing themselves so that the audience, when they're watching it, feels more powerful than the powers that be. And to be able to give ammunition to people who have been beaten down by this system is just the best feeling in the world. <laughs> it, it's interesting, I, I find that, um, I wonder what it's like for you and uh, as an actor and, and PJ as a writer, because you know, before in the past, you've had this anxiety thing, but you've always had you know, a lot more uh, empathy for your characters because your characters weren't, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they're, they're damaged a little bit, but this guy's kind of like, he's kind of an asshole, right? He's like, there's not much gray there. So was it a little bit more, um, obviously, you know, you're always gonna have empathy for whatever character, even if you have the worst one, but was that a little bit more difficult to play or di more difficult to write? Because again, like in the past, those guys, those other guys, they're, they're trying, right? Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're damaged people. But I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah. You're so like, for you're rooting yeah, for sure. So, yeah. so with Thunder Road, there's the boombox um, from Thunder Road. Uh, oh, but, yes. but yeah, like legitimately when you're watching Thunder Road, it is this poverty pornography of watching this guy who is just has the, the heart of gold and you root for him and he's a single dad and he's like doing his best. And he's trying to like win his daughter's affection and he can't <laughs> do it. And it just speaks to this like, horror sadness of anybody a man or woman watching this guy just like oh this poor fucking guy and you're watching him continually get kicked in the nuts a thousand times in the movie and then only in the last shot of the movie does he win does he do a good job of being a parent and it's like oh finally it's this like lovely payoff and then with my other two films with wolf of snow hollow it's more about like this guy who thinks he's right about something who's absolutely certain that he's right about this thing and then, and then it ends up being right, even though he's a complete asshole and he's fought this whole like movie to make sure that he was right. And he was. And then with, with Beta Test, the guy's wrong the whole movie. <laughs> and the right. audience, it's like the flip side of that coin where it's like the audience gets their fulfillment, their rocks off from watching this guy fail because they hate people like this. Yeah. And it's like this kind of schadenfreude catharsis watching this guy not succeed because they hate these kinds of people. And so it's the same kind of thing where I get to play a loudmouth who screams in a parking lot. Um, but with this one, I think we're kind of letting the audience in on the joke of the media literacy of like, they feel like they are part of the writing process and watching the film. Yeah. And like, I mean, he's so unlikable to the point you feel bad for the guy, like after all, because yeah. he's just so tone deaf to how he seems. And by the, I mean, just watching him get to the end when he has his exorcism and it's just kind of getting to that point of like, all right. Yeah. Finally being honest. It's, it's a fraud. A little art. Yeah. 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 And just a fraud and admitting that um, that's yeah. like his only victory is finally admitting, Oh, I'm, I'm just a, <laughs> I'm I, yeah. been lying for the last yeah. 80 minutes. Yeah. That's the only way he can get uh, any, yeah, <laughs> any, any empathy from the audience. Yeah. So I guess my question is, I mean, to me, that's such a, that's a bold move and that's hard to pull off. 
and you can fuck that up so easily and you yeah. Movie, yeah. Uh, audience fucking hate your character and hate your movie because of that i think this totally works were you guys worried about that at all or do you just like fuck it let's just i think like having done two other movies with you know cop characters were like i mean the other thing is like i tried my first feature was supposed to be this paparazzi thriller with a character who was a female celebrity and all of our financiers said this character is too unlikable. And that term unlikable comes up so much in screenplay format where yeah. anybody that can, you know, jump in and give a note is, oh, I don't, I don't think they're likable. I don't think they're likable enough. And that's just such a dumb bullshit term that gets thrown yeah. around a lot when like in the age of Walter White of like a character who kills children and like, you know, is an awful person, but the audience still watches the guy. Or Tony Soprano. Tony like, Soprano, yeah. Like, I was say. like, I like, like I, I think- um, Just some of the best characters. The, the, actually, the, the lead writer of The Soprano said that. He said like, it doesn't matter if the character's likable. If they are good at their job, the audience will continue to watch them. And I think that that's a, a lovely sentiment. Yeah. Um, but there's so much confusion about what audiences want to see and what they find to be interesting that we came up in a time of screenwriting during the internet where we had real litmus tests from the general public, democratized tests of Reddit of like what people found to actually be wholesome or funny or um, interesting or scary. Mm -hmm. Instead of it being like what we assume the audience would find interesting, you can like go to a website and see what the front page of the internet is democratically saying is interesting to them. And that became our education in media of like, you know, PJ and I've been Redditors for the last 13 years or whatever, too long, wasted time. Um, but like- a lot it has, of time on It Reddit. has changed yeah. our metronome of storytelling because we know where the audience might be on the roller coaster. That's really interesting because it, again, ties in for like, you know, agents and producers and they're all the people that are always like um, basing all their decisions in fear, right? They're the people like, oh, this yep. person's too unlikable. This person's too much of an asshole. I don't want to get fired. Yeah. yeah. They're right, covering right. their own ass. They don't want to green light something that like, they don't want to take any risks. And that's why it's so hard to pitch some of these things to these and people. And dude, honestly, like that is awesome. why we've been in this industry now of like sanitized filmmaking because the powers that be, these like giant companies that have shareholders have to make stuff that is super woke, that has no cursing, that has no violence, that has no sex in it. And it makes this like really tame, lame, bullshit, punches pulled media. And that's not what audiences want to see. They want to see stuff that is graphic. They want to see stuff like HBO that you can't Edgy. see on TV normally. Yeah. That's really funny that you're saying that because it, it, one, it sounds like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about it already, but like, it sounds like there's two different rules for what is on TV and film. And then I just saw this conversation with Jane Campion the other day where she's done both, obviously. And she said, you know, like film is really conservative. I saw that. And, and uh, uh, TV is much more, uh, they're not as risk averse. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what you think about that, but I was like, it just kind of crystallized for me. Huh. I don't know. I think like right now, because of how much money it costs to make a TV show there, because there's so much more money in television, there's so much more control from giant corporations mm -hmm. where like when I watch something that screens in can and it has like graphic violence or graphic sex in it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, <laughs> like how, how, how are people in Poland or South Korea making this movie? That's so shocking and revolutionary. So I don't know. I think like making something that's 90 minutes that you can do in a living room, like looking at Dog Tooth, the Yorgos Lanthimos film, like 
I still haven't, that, that's like a high watermark for me of like single location, horror, sexy, thriller in a weird way. Um, yeah. World building. It's, it's a masterpiece yeah. in, in, in a scary way. Um, that kind of filmmaking, I feel like you can only do in the 90 to, you know, 120 minute kind of um, thriller. I don't know. So to that end, you guys think, uh, I didn't even think that I would be asking you this, but like, so does television not something that interests you or ever thought of, or, or most of your stories are, are you guys just like the literacy that you've come in is banged in that 90 minute thing that's baked in? I mean, having done three, arguably four, arguably five feature films that are 90 minutes, like part of us now is like, well, we should be doing something that's 180 and doing, you know, six episodes, 30 minutes and make something dope. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it really depends. Like it, it's this weird kind of sliding scale of whether or not they're going to let us make something cool. And if we can ensure that the product isn't going to be mediocre uh, at the end of the day, we'll go with that. And it doesn't, we're kind of like platform and medium agnostic. We're like, I'd rather make a short film that's dope <laughs> that we can release on Vimeo uh, rather than make something that's a TV show that's 180 minutes that sucks ass, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we definitely have stories that are kind of built for more of the television style of of storytelling but again yeah like it's do we want to go shoot like an independent tv show or like kind of break it up into episodes or like it kind of depends where we can find a home for these things and i watched i watched an interview with um michael haneke when he was talking about um winning can with the white ribbon uh does vice bond and um and people kept asking him what book is it based on and he was like it's not it's not based on a book. I wrote, it's a movie. I wrote it as a movie. And, and they were like, no, it has to be based on this like bigger thing, obviously. And like every journalist from every territory was like, so what, you know, what German yeah, Victorian movie from? or book is it based yeah, on? What's the and, source um, material? And, and we feel like that often of like, yeah, we should make something that is timeless. We should make something that feels like it is bigger than, than an independent film and then just make it as an independent film. And that's sort of the, again, you know, agents, producers, all this stuff, right? The fear-based IP, whether it's a book or a comic or anything, an image is like an NFT. Like, there's like, nobody can like, what's based off of what's the, they need something. Yeah. It has to be based on something that's already been successful. What a fucking conceit. Like, like what an ugly and like amazing conceit that these fucking cheese dicks have to make something that is based on a previously successful property. What parasites that they have no successful understanding of decision-making faculties to make something dope. They have no idea about the public or what they're interested in or would make something cool. They have to say, well, it's a successful graphic novel. And because of that, it might be a good movie. Fuck them. It's awful. And you can't even like, even an original idea, like we can't go into like a pitch meeting or something without being like, oh, it's like this, this, and this. You have to feed them comps. Even like, like Jim and I's original ideas for TV shows and stuff, like, like they don't, like you can't go in unless you'd be like, it's like Fargo, this, this, this. You have to give them, you have to spoon feed them something that's already been done. Otherwise they're not, it's not going to click and they're not even going to give you, like, they're not even going to give you a whiff. It's the only, the only person, the only people that we have pitched our two new movies to is Ariana Boca at IFC. And it was at a dinner and we were too nervous to pitch it to anybody else. But we were like hanging out and um, and she goes, yeah, those are great. I want those movies. Those sounds great. <laughs> and then we're like, I think we just got greenlit on accident. I think, I think she might have just greenlit us. And then the next day, 
one of her executives reached out and said, Ariana, I think, I think we might've like drank too much last night. I think you'd like greenlit these movies. And she was like, no, I love those ideas. Let's do, let's do those <laughs> movies. That sounds great. Um, yeah. It's funny. We're like, if you can, if you can talk about it in like oral storytelling and tell the story as perfectly as possible, people that get the jokes will say, yeah, I, I have to do that movie. Like, and that's how PJ and I have a right. We're like, it's all out loud. It's all through these kind of like oral histories that become the movies and, um, you know, a thousand hours of research as well. But um, it, but it's its really- own thing. And I'm so proud of the unique voice that I think we've kind of started to craft. And like, it might not be based on anything else and hard for execs to wrap their heads around it. But I think that's why it's going to be good. I think that's yeah. a good thing. I think, I think people are getting sick of that shit. Like, I think people are actually, actually understanding the narrative. We're like, we show this movie to general audiences and they're like, yeah, I knew about the WGA packaging fight. And it's like, you had no business knowing about that in central Utah. But like that kind of inside baseball has like translated to general audiences in a funny way. We're like, like you can make something that is this inside joke that then people around America and around the world really dig. And I, I think people feel intimidated to do that. Um, artists particularly feel intimidated to do that, that it wouldn't work. And it, it really does. I got to let you guys go soon. So tell me about, um, I always, I, I, I love the, you probably did more than them, but I've seen, I can think of three cops, right? Your first two features, and then you were in Halloween Kills as a cop. <laughs> and, and then I'm wondering like, these you got two new movies going on i'm like is there going to be a cop in there it seems like you love playing a cop and i i kind of get it too because there's a sort of deliciousness there that you bring to yeah. that he's starting um, to get the mustache going again man yeah yeah, yeah tell <laughs> yeah. me tell me about that a little bit because i find that quite delightful i mean police officers are the ultimate um are the ultimate facade you know jean paul sartre said um uh, there's no such thing as a waiter or a waitress. It's just someone pretending to be a waiter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that to be so poignant about every walk of life, every job that you have. Um, but with a police officer, because there's so much power involved, you have to put on this facade of being this tough guy. And that just spoke to me as a kid growing up in the South and watching these like football players you know, pretend to be a quarterback or pretend to be you know, the cool guy or whatever. And I, I found that to be so interesting. And so it started out with Thunder Road. I'd done uh, as a producer, a short film about the Iraq war and uh, Marines. And like, it's the same kind of type A personality, um, testosterone driven bullshit facade and, uh, and breaking that down. And I just find that to be very interesting. So like cops are kind of the easiest thing you put on the uniform and then you get to humiliate this uniform. And it's funny, you get to pretend to be Charlie Chaplin as the great dictator a bit. And um it was very fulfilling and very funny to me to do. And then that was kind of the beginning of my career, but I played a cop a thousand times. I play, I'm in Lorraine Nicholson's short film, Jack's Daughter uh, on Killer Robots. And I play a cop in that. And I play a cop in Danny Madden's feature Beast Beast and a couple of short films. And I don't know, I, I feel like I, I started out my career doing that. And then David Gordon Green called and he was like, Hey, I, I need you to play this guy. And I was like, I mean, I'd walk across fucking hot coals for for you, man. I, I watched all the real girls as a teenager and it inspired me to make movies. So like, it, it's funny, like some people will send me a script and they're like, hey, we need you to do this thing. And if it's a hero of mine, I have to say yes. And then with with like all of our future stuff, we're not acting in them. It's it's different people. Like we're, I'm trying to get Eddie Izzard to play the lead actress uh, in this new film. And so I don't know, It's it's a weird time. I kind of want... To, to separate myself from that and act in other people's stuff and then instead focus on the craft and not me 
trying to trying to be cool for an audience. Shouting in a parking lot. Yeah, yeah shouting in a parking lot. I'm not going to do that ever again. Brought up green because I do see like a lot of uh, simpatico sort of sensibilities. Cool. The two uh, of you yeah, guys. Dave's great, man. David, oh, man. I, I was I was texting with him today, man. He's um he is like such a champion of independent film, and like watching all the real girls is such a love letter to sequence editing and montage editing. It's not just um, the story, and it's a beautiful story about you know a guy who is you know very successful in North Carolina uh, on the dating circuit. And then being unhappy with that, and um, it's such a it's such a masterpiece. There's so many incredible actors in that film that have now had incredible careers, like Shea Wiggum and so many good people. And it inspired me as a young dude from New Orleans to say, yeah, you can win Sundance and and make something in your backyard, and still and that still counts as making movies. David has just been this like bizarre, hilarious godfather that we look up to so much. Uh, where he can do the really important stuff like snow angels and then also do stupid bullshit like Eastbound and Down. And uh, we feel like we're doing both at the same time yeah. with our movies. He was one of the, he was one of the first people to see, well, uh, to see the beta test. And he's like just such a great chaperone for us. That's cool. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely see those uh, sensibilities. Um, do you guys want to tease at all those, some of the movies that you're, they're trying to make that the, uh you're hoping to do uh, i can't wait to to see more we're, you guys are in this rhythm and and, and yeah no we're, we got a bunch of stuff we're gonna keep pushing forward it's uh jim i don't know which ones you want to <laughs> go into but the big yeah. one pj and i are writing this victorian horror comedy buddy <laughs> romance um about oh, beta you know, had a lot of genres this one's right, like right, 10 right. times bigger yeah it's incredible it feels like um wind in the willows uh about this kind of like interracial friendship in 1895 and it's going to be made a bit like uh there will be blood and wind in the willows and it's like this incredible it's a masterpiece in such a fun way i'm gonna call it but like it really is so (laughs) profound and beautiful and it's a ghost story. And I think it could be one of the best films ever made. And it's bad. We're like, PJ <laughs> we and I now we are very are happy a, about it. Are at, a, are at a, part, a point in our career where we might actually be taken seriously enough to do bigger stuff. And so instead of it being like, all right, well, let's do the things that we wanted to do for the last 10 years. It's like, no, we have to carry the torch for independent film in America. We have to be better than these other, than fucking Martin Scorsese. Like, how do we do that? Um, and so we've been like writing these things to try and beat our heroes. Um, and it's terrible. It's like, you know, the, the fourth matrix movie is coming out and I'm like, we're going to get our lunch eaten by these girls who are making this movie. Like uh, there's so much competition to make great stuff and we want to be a part of it. And so this, this we're we're writing writing epics swinging for the fences, (laughs) like beta times 10, because we got to keep up. Like there's no point half-assing it now. Let's go. There's no such thing as halfway crooks. We got to do it. I love it. I love to hear it. Um, I think you guys can do it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. I sort of, I, I kind of was already guessing that you guys were going to like sort of push it to, to some sort Good. of level. Yeah. We're, we're not going to go backwards. You're there. Good. Yeah. We're on it. Before I let you go, what do you, I mean, obviously it sounds like you guys have a lot of confidence in indie cinema, you know, and the state yep. of cinema because cinema is yep. a, 
fucking weird place right now, right? I mean, uh, with everything and and it- so like the 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 reason that it's weird is that the power dynamics have shifted to instead of being owning these cinemas by having these contracts that prevent independent films from being on the screen, now it is just this um, equal democracy against the platforms. So right now like Bond is in competition with these other independent horror movies that are coming out. And that kind of dichotomy has never happened in independent film or in film in the last hundred years. Like we are literally fighting for attention on these platforms and independent films have a real stake in the game. And it's phenomenal. Like legitimately you could make a movie in your backyard that ends up directly next to James Bond on iTunes. And it's right. like that that has never happened before. And it is such a vibrant time that every independent filmmaker should act on and say, now is the time to make something. If I can do it safely, if I can make something that is like dog tooth, the couple of actors in a single location, I can win the attention of the world. And uh, I think people should start acting on it. It's cool. Amen. People. Sorry, I'm on my hobby horse <laughs> talking about independent film and how everybody can do it. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's great. You agree, PJ? I completely agree. Hey, I'm, I'm all in. I, I agree. That's why I mean, we are here right now. Is like we never would have been able to get where we are. We would never would even be able to sniff these crazy new projects that we're trying to do if we didn't just go out and do this ourselves. Like, I'm so glad we did. I mean, we were, yeah, we would have had no shot if we just like never would have been able to tell this crazy story like the beta test and these other things. If we didn't just prove we could do it and Thank God we took the risk and swung for the yeah. fences because now hopefully we can knock on wood, do these other big crazy projects. Yeah. Awesome. Keep it well, going. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that stuff. I really hope people uh, love the beta test. Uh, we gave it a, yeah, me too. Because I think it's terrific, really funny, very layered and complex and good shit. Good shit. Yeah, thank you. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah it's a wild it's a one. Shit. I'm so yeah. glad. It's a wild one. And I'm glad people like yourself are responding to it. That means a lot. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. That means the world to us. Thank you. Good luck with everything. I'm really rooting for you guys. I want to, I want to see more. We may need it, but yeah, we'll yeah. deliver. All right. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you were looking forward to um, what uh, Cummings and PJ McCabe are cooking up because it sounds pretty interesting, right? And if you haven't, and if you listened to this whole conversation, please, I urge you to check out the beta test, it is really good. Cummings is is definitely uh, an artist, even if he's working on this very small indie scale. Um, and it, you know, it sounds like it, it's only going to get bigger. And uh, who knows, maybe he's going to sort of take that trek of David Gordon Green. And, and we all know where he went with uh, um, starting with his sort of similar lo-fi indie r- uh, roots and, and, and expanding in, into all different kinds of uh genres and territories so uh yeah check out the beta test it's very good and uh as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast stay tuned for a few more uh features of our most anticipated coverage um and a few uh little bits of best of 2021 coverage that's still left like that aforementioned um the best films of 2021 that you didn't see so yeah lots of good stuff keep it dialed in keep uh keep reading and keep sharing and thanks and we'll see you soon all right bye Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah.
Yeah. Oh, yeah.